Amen. Thank you, choir. I'm so uh, looking forward to tonight uh, for the concert and the release of the CD. I hope that you will be here and that you use this as an opportunity to, opportunity to invite others to come and experience a bit of, of the worship um, ministry here through song that we're so blessed uh, to have at Concord. We appreciate Pastor Kevin and his leadership, and uh, our choir continues to grow, and I'm sure if you would like to sign up after the service, he'll be right down here, and he'll, he'll sign you up. Father, thank you for the time we've had this past year, plus, Lord, to look at our faith as revealed in Scripture from the ground up. We pray now that you would help us through this message, Lord, that we can, um, Father, end today uh, thinking about the blessed hope and, Father, the joy about which we've been singing this morning that will be for all of eternity because of your eternal plan unveiled to us in Jesus. And, Lord, you're calling out a people unto yourself. And we just praise you and thank you for the gift of your grace and, Lord, for the coming new heaven and earth. Guide us now through your word. Help us to give our best to you, Lord, right now, to hear you speak to our, not only our minds, but our hearts and our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. In my years of being a pastor, I've stood by many beds of people getting ready to pass to the other side. So I've been doing this now. I started as a student pastor for a little while when I was about 21, 22, and then through seminary, preaching and working as interims in different ways in churches, and then from 26 on, uh, pastoring uh, churches or teaching and pastoring at the same time. And so um, I've been doing this, um, you know, 30-something years. It doesn't seem like it. It's gone by in some ways in a hurry, but it's gone by. And, you know, as I think about people passing away, there are too many to even think about counting how many funerals I've done, how many places I've been when people are dying, how many states I've stood in um, different um, cemeteries. And so sometimes when I've watched people die, it's been in their homes, sometimes in hospitals, sometimes in nursing homes or assisted livings, sometimes at a hospice facility or elsewhere. And one thing that has always stood out to me is the difference in how a really committed believer who understands and relies upon the grace of God dies compared to unbelievers or even people who have just had a cursory commitment to Christ through the years. Committed believers who have time to prepare for death, they express so often hope and a longing to go home. They may be torn about leaving their family behind, but in their heart, they're really looking forward to being home with the Lord. And so sometimes if they're cognizant and still able to engage, they may be quoting Scripture. Sometimes they may be singing hours before they die, as Darla's precious mother was doing a few weeks ago when she passed at Hospice House with joy in her heart, singing before she died. Some even speak of angels standing nearby. And I don't doubt that some may be getting a glimpse of the other side. On a few occasions, I have to admit that I've really sensed a very strong 
presence of the Lord when a person is dying who's really committed to Christ. It's a holy moment, and you could just sense the Lord there. You know, the Bible speaks of the entire coming experience of believers in one sense as the blessed hope. In Titus chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it talks about that we're waiting as believers for our blessed hope, the coming, the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that, everything that flows out from it, all that that entails. And indeed, we do have a blessed hope or an assurance is what the word hope means for us in the Bible. A blessed assurance, as the old hymn used to say, for which we are waiting. Well, as I close out this series, True Lines, in which we have looked at our faith from the ground up, we're going to end today by talking about our future as believers in a message entitled, A Glorious New Heaven and Earth. This message is the 44th in this series, and what a great subject upon which to focus as we conclude. So without a lot of other preliminaries today, I want to try to get us through this somewhat expeditiously today. I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. John writes and says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Well, this subject is one in which we could spend a whole lot of time, several messages. There are some pretty basic, pretty good books. Uh, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. I think we've done study groups here on it. Or you can get uh, Wayne Grudem's little Bible Doctrine, which is a smaller version of his systematic theology. Uh, some good systematic theologians like him or Millard Erickson, if you want to read a bigger book, uh, have some great uh, sections on dealing with these types of subjects. And so I'm going to talk about the big things we can focus upon as believers. My point is there's a whole lot written on this, and I'm trying to condense it down in one message for you to get to the big thing. So first of all, as we talk about our coming future, I want to, to begin to share the first point, just two points today, beginning one minute after we die. 
So as we last week looked at those who die without Christ, what happens to them one minute after they die going forward, I want to compare what happens to us as believers one minute after we die, after you die, or after I die. And so if you missed last week, you can go back and hear what happens one minute after a non-believer dies online, and you can find that on our website or Facebook page. But what happens when you die as a Christian? Well, when a believer dies, the Bible says that immediately our spirit goes to be with the Lord, goes to heaven. Before Christ died, I believe that we were in Hades, the saved side of Hades and the lost side of Hades that's still there. And then when Christ arose and ascended, we can now immediately go to be with the Lord because our sins have been paid for. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, beautiful uh, verse. I often read this verse when I'm doing funerals because it's such a great, great verse. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, he says, we are confident, I say, we are confident as believers, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so the idea is that uh, when I die, my spirit exits this body and it goes to be with the Lord immediately in just a moment. And so this week we've had a couple of folks die in our church and um, actually I think three since last weekend. And as believers, their spirit is already with Christ. Our bodies will be buried and ultimately decompose in one way or another. But God will not forget the body. Remember, he created us as beings, body and spirit, living souls. And Christianity is in some ways unique in that we say the body and the material universe is good. God made it good. He declared it good. And so he still has a plan for us in a material way with our bodies. And so our bodies will be buried and ultimately decomposed, but God will not forget the body. The Bible teaches then that our spirits remain with Christ in heaven until Jesus returns. And when Jesus does return, our bodies are going to be raised in a glorified state. Even as Pastor Andrew read our scriptural call to worship this morning out of 1 Corinthians 15, the glorious resurrection of the body. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit on the tree to show more fruits coming. It's a promise that our bodies will be raised again, incorruptible, full of glory. And at that point, our bodies and spirits are reunited, glorified. And so if you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, another passage I often read at funerals. I start funerals out reading 2 Corinthians 5, 8 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And I read those because I think we need footing to stand upon and to teach what the Bible teaches about becoming life. That we don't float around as ghosts on a cloud. We're not playing a harp somewhere. We don't sprout wings and become angels. And I understand sometimes the sentimentality of wanting to talk like that, that they got their angels' wings. But just as a matter of us teaching our culture well and being good models of Jesus and what the truth really is, I don't think we should ever speak about she got or he got her angels' wings. We do not become angels. We are greater than the angels in our exalted sense in, in the Lord. 
And so in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, here's a picture of where we are, what would happen if Jesus came back. Are you with me? This is a very important passage in the Bible. So let's, let's turn to verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We have hope. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And notice the phraseology in your Bible here. And so we believe, would you read this out loud with me, this part? And so we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So they've died. Their bodies are still here. Their spirits are with Jesus. And the scripture says when Jesus comes back, their spirits come with him. But he goes on to say, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, that's us right here, right now, if Jesus came back right now, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And what does the next phrase say? And the what? Dead in Christ will rise first. But he just told us that those who are dead in Christ, they come with him. So their spirits come with him, but their bodies are raised. They rise first. And then after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage or comfort one another with these words. So the point is, if Jesus came back right now, the spirits of believers will come with him. Their bodies will be raised, body and spirit glorified, reunited. Don, if he came right now and I'm standing here preaching, I would go through a glorious transformation. You'd say, man, unless you did it right with me at the same time. You'd say, man, he just lit up to come glorified and ascends to be with the Lord. I don't go through the death process is the point. We're immediately changed into that eternal state if Christ came right now. And at that point, it seems that Christ is going to reign on the earth for a period of time with believers. We call that the millennium, those thousand years. And we were singing this morning about Christ's reign over the nations and things being perfect at a point in time. And that points to that period of time. And Satan will be bound. We were singing about Satan being crushed this morning. He will be bound or restrained for that thousand years, as we, we read last week in Revelation. And then he is loosed for one more attack on the Lord and his people. And that passage in Revelation says he is quickly defeated, and along with the human leadership from which he, through which he is working, he's cast into hell. And then at that point, the unsaved are resurrected. They experience resurrection, and we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you go to Revelation 20, this is where we were last week. So ultimately, we all end up before the judgment seat of Jesus. And it works through that process. And if you go back to that passage in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, we see that at that judgment... It says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so the idea is that we have these books there at judgment. They contain our actions, our words, everything in our record. 
For the unsaved, as we saw last week, it would just show that they are condemned. They're imperfect. And because they don't have Christ, they have no advocate to claim them. They're not covered by the death of Jesus, and they ultimately spend eternity separated from God in hell. But for the believers, the books contain our actions, our words, everything about our lives. But that second book, the book of life, that's the determining book. We, if our names are in it, we are saved. And so theologians debate this. They debate on whether or not our sins as believers, it will, will they be brought up at, at judgment? I'm saved. I'm going to be good, ultimately, at the judgment. But will my sins be brought up all of my life and shown there at the judgment? And theologians, evangelicals disagree on this point and how you read the Bible. Some point out that um, since we are forgiven, that our sins will not be brought up. And there's that theme in Scripture of God forgetting and forgiving, or forgiving and forgetting our sins. And so if you think about Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Or Psalm 103 and verse 12 and again, like last week, I'm using quite a bit of Scripture because I want you to hear what the Bible, the force of the Bible, not just my words. Look at your Bibles. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so based upon those verses and others, Christian theologians say that our sins will not even be brought up at the judgment as believers. Our works will be revealed, which we'll come to in a moment. We'll be rewarded, but our sins won't be brought up. On the other hand, some Christian theologians argue, you know, when you read Matthew 24 and 25, where Jesus talks about the judgment, it seems that they will be brought up. And so some take that position as well. But in the end, either way, you and I are going to be able to rest in the grace of God, in the merit of Jesus. And even if they are brought up, our, our failures are shown as forgiven in Christ. You see, what will be the most glorious thing at the, at the judgment is going to be shown, the greatest thing to be shown to us will be the infinite love of Jesus to have died for our sins. And we're safe because our names are written down in the book of life. And Jesus, our advocate, owns us, as we were singing about as well this morning, claims us. And so we are safe from the righteous wrath of God. So I don't really have a strong opinion either way on whether or not um, they will be brought up. Even if they are, they're shown as forgiven. But then also at this, at this judgment, our works, our service to Christ is going to be brought up, and that will be rewarded in some way or another. And if we think about that, we can uh, remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Remember the guy's given so many talents, he invested and makes more, and at the judgment, he is given more responsibility, more is entrusted to him. And so that is called God's reward for believers. And so if you go to the... Uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. This is another aspect of this. And again, I know I'm using a lot of Scripture, but I hope you'll follow along and follow the train of thought here. Because I find a lot of people are confused about, about this. So 1 Corinthians 4 5, 
Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. That's why some would say he's going to bring everything to to be seen. And expose the motives of the heart. But notice it says, at that time, each will receive their praise from God. So the idea here is that if my sins are brought up, they're shown as forgiven. Many believe they won't be brought up at all. Here where it talks about the secret motives of our hearts being shown, it says they'll be brought up here at the judgment. But notice it's in the context of receiving praise from God. Think about that. Receiving praise from God. Isn't that amazing to think about the fact that God is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, praise from God. And so based upon that in my service to Jesus as a Christian, I'm saved by his grace. But rewards come. And Dr. Wilkinson's been teaching about that in some of the Wednesday night classes. And I understand those rewards in this way, that they will be our assignments and responsibilities in the new heaven and the new earth, which we're going to come to in a moment. And so as Christians, because we know Jesus Christ, we should never fear judgment, whether sins are revealed or not. And again, the evidence from Scripture is mixed. But we will ultimately, as Jude verse 124 says, we will ultimately be presented as faultless before his throne. Not because I am faultless, but because Christ is faultless. And he has died for my sins, and God has justly dealt with those. And his righteousness, his record is counted as my record. And so I am safe in the arms of Jesus. He is my advocate at the judgment. And so I have that to look forward to as a believer. So right now, if Jesus came, all of us in here are Christians, we would be transformed into our eternal state. Other believers' bodies would rise, but their spirits that come with Christ are reunited in a glorified state, and we're all with the Lord forever. Christ, as I understand the Bible at that point, reigns a thousand years at least on the earth, whether that's symbolic or not. There is a brief release of Satan again to rebel. He is crushed. We come to the judgment. And at that judgment, the bodies of unbelievers have been raised and united with their spirits. They're fallen. They ultimately are condemned of their own willful choice to reject Christ and the revelation God has given to them in this life. And believers, we are safe in the arms of Christ. If our sins are brought up, They are shown as forgiven because of the great grace and the glory of Jesus. And then the things that we have done, the secret things of the heart, serving the Lord through the power of the Spirit, those things are rewarded as we are preparing to go into that eternal state of that new heaven and new earth. That's what happens to us scripturally when we go through all of this thing of death and at the end of the ages. I'm excited about that. I'm really thrilled about what's coming. I can't get my mind around it. You can't either. We, we can only see glimpses of it. But man, it's going to be phenomenal. If you get up every day knowing who you are, knowing where you're going, knowing what's coming, <laughs> our hearts should be filled with joy and hope. No matter how bad this world gets. That's what's been purchased for us, is being prepared for us in Christ.
I mean, you ought to make no, more noise than you're going to make at a Clemson football game in a few weeks over something like that, you know? Yeah. Can we just give the Lord a hand? Could you, hey, could you just do a cheer? A cheer, yeah. Cheer the Lord. Man. That's awesome. Y'all didn't cheer very loudly. But I know you believe it. It's, um, it's just a different context than sitting in the stadium eating a hot dog. I, I get it. But the second thing I want to talk about is then our glorious destination, about this thing called heaven, where all of this takes place when we come to dwell with the Lord. It's sometimes described by one word, heaven. In our Baptist faith and message, it talks about we'll be in heaven as opposed to those who are in hell. But that word heaven, as you unfold Scripture, encompasses in some other places something that is larger Heaven has been described by Wayne Grudem, a Baptist theologian, as, quote, the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. The place where God makes known his presence most fully to bless. So what can we say about heaven? Well, we're kind of a minority in some ways in the world as Christians and evangelical Christians who say that the Bible teaches and we believe that heaven is an actual place. It has a physicality to it. And again, sometimes people have questioned whether or not it is an actual place. Some want to say it's just a spiritual state. But in the Bible, heaven is a place where God actually dwells, and we will dwell with him there as well. We hear that truth affirmed over and over again in the New Testament. Nowhere is it more clearly stated than in the words of Jesus himself. In John 14, 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In the old King James and my father's house are what? Many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to what? Prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's talking about preparing a place. In my father's house are many rooms, the newer translations would say. When Jesus ascended in the book of Acts chapter 1 in verses 10 and 11, we hear the idea of heaven being an actual place where the Bible says that he ascends here. It says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside the men of Galilee. They said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go in to heaven. They're able to see for a moment that Christ goes to heaven. It is a place. Or in Acts 7 where Stephen is being stoned to death, that early martyr in the life of the church. It says that in verse 55 of Acts 7, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You see, heaven is a concrete place. I go to prepare a place for you. And the fact that you and I are going to have resurrected bodies, right? Spiritual bodies, but they're called bodies and has some tie to this body in 1 Corinthians 15. There's some, some tie there would give us the sense that this is a physical place, right? We're going through a physical existence. 
I can go down here and hug my wife's neck and we can hug and that's a physical thing. These bodies point to the thing that truth that heaven is an actual place. And in heaven dwells God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and myriads of faithful angels, and the saints have gone before. And so if you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we get a glimpse of heaven right now. And what you would find if you, if you died and you went to heaven right at the moment. In Hebrews 12, 22, it says, You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Is Jerusalem a place on this earth? It is, that's right. But here he's comparing that to the heavenly Jerusalem. And he says, you've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are what? Written in heaven. That's the saved people who are dead. They're already, they're spiritual with Christ. You've come to God, the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made what? Perfect. When we die, our spirits are perfected. And then to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In short, heaven is going to be our eternal home, and it's going to be glorious. You know, in life, we have moments, at least most people I know do, and I've had them, where we're transfixed for a moment on something that just seems perfect. Life seems perfect for just a moment. I think about the little boy in the Christmas story movie that's getting kind of dated now, but when he's wanting that Red Rider BB gun, and he finally gets it, and just a moment, everything is right with the world. And sometimes as we go through this life, we have those experiences where there's just something majestic that we see that is just overwhelming, like you see uh, something in nature like the Grand Canyon, or I think about riding down from Flagstaff to Sedona and seeing that beautiful canyon there for the first time. It'll take your breath away. At least for me. It's different for all of us. It may be in a strong human bond that we feel where we have such love and we feel such rest and peace in a relationship that we want that moment to last forever. Like when you're standing at the altar and you're, you're getting married and you go on your honeymoon and you just you want that to just last forever is perfect it may be memories of home and I drove by the exit yesterday to my hometown got off and went into Starbucks for a moment and got back on the road to get back here but just thinking a few blocks away was the home where I where I grew up and the house I used to love to go to that house because it was home and I know not everybody, not everybody has this experience, but I had a, a wonderful home, a simple home, but it was just wonderful just to go in there to have the smells, right? And to walk through and the memories of my family being together and all those things just flood into my, into my heart. I always enjoyed going back home. We have these types of experiences in life. And C.S. Lewis said these longings and these experiences to hold on to that, these things that are always fleeting because they don't last. He said all of these things point us to another world. He is saying there, showing us that we're not made ultimately for this world, but we're made for another world. 
And there will come a time and a place where everything shall be made perfect forever, and it shall last forever. We are ultimately made for another world, and it is a place. But then let me say one other thing as I wrap this up today. This is why I think a lot of believers don't read closely enough or we don't teach enough these things about the fact about heaven is that it is a developing place right now. It seems that the coming future dwelling of believers is a place that's being developed. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And can you just imagine someone with all the power and wisdom and beauty and unlimited resources that created everything, all the resources, preparing a place for you? You know, enough people seem to be mesmerized by the houses of the rich and famous that whole TV shows have been built around just exploring these properties. They're out of reach from almost everyone, such as uh, cribs. Yeah, I know some gaudy looking on cribs, right? Or another one is Mansion Global. And just seeing some of the mansions, the properties selling around the world, and you get to go inside of them. But you know, nothing anyone on this earth will ever build can compare to the beautiful environment being prepared by beauty himself for his people. And from Revelation, it appears that a beautiful city, and it's pictured as the church, but also a city is being developed to be brought into an integrated relationship with the new earth. And so let's go back to Revelation chapter 21. And again, we're using, or John is, apocalyptic language, but there's symbolism in Revelation, but this idea is one we see this theme in other places as well about God's plans for the earth. And we've already read about heaven being a place. <clears throat> And I want you to read Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2 with me, would you? Just so I know we're late in the hour, and I want you to, want you to read. I want to I know you're reading it. Here we go. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Let's read verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Somehow it seems that the heavenly city that's being prepared is going to be united in some way, in an integrated way, with a renewed earth. And so it seems that in the end, this creation, this, this universe, this planet will either be recreated after destruction or somehow cleansed and renewed. And again, theologians debate this. Is it going to be totally wiped out and God starting over? Or is it just going to be somehow cleansed and renewed? Most evangelical theologians settle on the latter. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis, right? And he declared it to be very what? Good. It's just been marred. It's going to be cleansed. But you can hear some passages about how things will be toward the end in relationship to the creation in Hebrews 12. And again, I don't have time to read all these, but 26 and 27 says, At that time his voice shook the earth, and now he promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Or if you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So the idea here, again, is that things are destroyed. There's a cleansing And that's why there's ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. And so ultimately, we who are saved are going to be ushered in to that new heaven and that new earth where the gates of the city do not shut, where the Lord himself is the light of the city, where nothing impure will ever go in it or out of it. That's when heaven is fully realized and complete for us. And that place is described in terms of Streets of gold, beautiful gemstones, Revelation 21, uh, a luscious garden, Revelation 22, 1 and 2. And again, don't have time to read those. But the point is that I think John strains for language here. The most precious things you could point to, a beautiful garden, golden streets, all those things. That it is so superlative that language cannot capture how beautiful heaven is going to be. And we will be there with the Lord. The Trinity in relationship. And in that new heaven and earth, we'll live out our eternal lives, worshiping and serving the Lord forever. And so the rewards we get, I think, become those various responsibilities that he'll give to us in that new heaven and earth. And we will serve him and worship him in complete joy. And we will never be bored. We will never sin again. We will not be able to sin And we will never exhaust learning about God because he will always be far above us. But we will also be with him in the most perfect of all places. I want to ask you this morning as we come to a time of commitment, are you ready to die? Have you met Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Do you know that you're going to heaven if you died right now? Do you know you have this glorious future waiting on you? God says this is all yours as a gift. That scripture we read, come and take it freely. And maybe this morning you need to call upon Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, to receive the gift. The gift is Jesus and what he did for you. He died for your sins. He lives a sinless life. He gives you that as your record. Maybe today as we're singing in just a moment, you just right where you are want to call on Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe you're watching online. Call on him to be your Savior. And he'll save you. He loves to save. He came to save. And I beg you today, give your life to Christ if you've not. As believers, we should make the commitment that we want to tell others about this. We have good news. There's no other good news like this in the world. Good news, right? Eternal life. And maybe today as a believer, you're going through a hard place and a difficult time. And your heart is breaking. You're dealing with the sinfulness and the brokenness of this world. Something bad's going on in your life. Look up and know that it is temporary. And God is going to work through it if you're his. He's not going to let you go, as we were singing about also this morning. And you can rest in him and know, know, know that heaven, heaven, heaven is coming.